Hello, awesome people. You're listening to Invisible Office Hours with Paul Jarvis and Jason Zuck. This episode's non-sponsor, unsponsor, the person who didn't pay us, but we're going to talk about them for the next couple minutes because they're awesome, is Brendan Hufford. And I'm excited to talk about Brendan, not only because he is great at SEO, and if SEO confuses the hell out of you, you are going to love talking to Brendan because he makes it so simple and he doesn't go into all the crazy, stupid details that you don't need to know. He just helps you build a foundation. Uh, I'm also super proud because Brendan was a buy my future buyer when I had that project going three years ago. And he has been such an amazing addition to that community. And and I really look at Brendan as one of those people that he's such a great example of providing value first, uh, really showing up and seeing the rewards of that. I mean, I know Brendan has gotten a ton of clients through uh, now the Wandering Aimfully community, which was Fire Future before. And he has continued to just evolve as a creator. And I've watched his websites evolve. And so now he's kind of focusing on uh, on his website. It says the best SEO consultant in Chicago, which I love it because he, he can be honest and confident about what he's doing. But yeah, Brendan, all around a great guy, super helpful guy. And I know he's also a part of creative class and some other stuff that you've done, including a workshop that I watched recently. Yeah, so Brendan has been a student of creative class for a couple of years now. And it's funny because in the Slack channel, it's, I don't know, like a thousand freelancers talking in there. Every time somebody has anything relating to SEO as a question, Brennan, Brennan's right there to give like the best answer and to help the person. People probably ask <laughs> him as many questions as they ask me in the creative class. And so... A couple months ago, I was like, hey, do you want to do you want to teach a work? Like, obviously, people care about SEO if they're freelancers. Do you want to teach a workshop? And I know he he was a teacher in a previous life. He also yeah. owned a uh, what is it called? Like a gi company. Like oh, the, yeah. Yeah, the jiu-jitsu. jujitsu clothing that I don't know yep. how to talk about that. <laughs> so he's done a bunch of You're stuff. doing a great job. Yes. You're doing a great job. So yeah, he taught a workshop. He, it went really, really well. He's so good at teaching and explaining things that yeah everybody loved that workshop so i think like if i was hiring an seo person i would hire brendan right now and i think if you need seo work beautiful listeners of the show maybe check out brendanhufford.com yeah and that's uh brendan with an a so brendan hufford h-u-f-f-o-r-d.com you can probably search his name and find it also he's one of the few people i'll just kind of wrap this up by saying he has a free course that you can go through or a free email series. Such a great way to just get introduced to SEO. You don't actually have to start like working with him or anything like you can really get his feel for how he does that stuff. So I would highly recommend that. Thank you so much, Brendan, for just all the value that you provide in both of our communities. Also, such a great example of if anybody's like, I don't know how to make, you know, more connections or to get like more leads for my business. It's like what he's doing is perfect because he's known as the SEO expert in both of our communities, which is 1500 incredibly highly engaged people strong between the two of us or more than yours. And it's just it's a shining example of like this is how you play the long game and you do it right. So big shout out to Brendan doing awesome stuff. Thanks for non-sponsoring our show this week. All right. Who do you admire in business? Paul Jarvis, we'll start this one. I don't know about you, but I get this question a lot at the topic of uh, today's podcast. Uh, And it is, who do you admire in business? And it always throws me for a loop because at least once a month, people are like, well, who do you follow or who do you admire in business? And it's a scary, it's a scary question. So I'm not going to answer it first. I, I'm going to ask you first. <laughs> Who do you admire in business, Mr. Jason? I think this one gets into some like deep rooted <laughs> insecurity things for me. Oh, great. Let's go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So quick backstory for everybody listening. I grew up with a single mom until I was eight. So I did not have a father figure in my life. My mom was a very strong willed woman. So I got a lot of my, you know, kind of do it yourself, manage your own thing as a little kid. You know, my mom worked a lot, but she still took great care of me. But I kind of grew up and then I had a couple of stepdads throughout that process. And I just always had this aversion to them telling me what to do because it was like, I mean, I was only eight when like one came around, but I think I had just felt like, hey, my mom and I did this without you. You know, like I don't need you. And I think that just stuck with me over the years until I started my, my kind of entrepreneurial journey, in which case I just was like, 
I don't need a mentor. I don't need any, like I can do it myself because those people probably did it themselves at some point. And so I think I had in the beginning, just way too much pride about it. It was just like, I don't want help from anybody. I read one Seth Godin book and like I knew everything. (laughs) And that's not true at all. You know, I don't think that that's necessarily the way that you should go about it. And I don't think it's the way that we would advocate people to go about it. You should get help. You should do these things. But for me, it has been a battle I've fought from the beginning of being an entrepreneur of, I don't really know, because to me, there's a big difference here. And I I would imagine this conversation was naturally going to go here anyway. The people that I admire are not the people I aspire to be. So like, I admire the heck out of Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, all the people that we all admire. But like, I don't want anything to do with what they're trying to build. I don't want anything to do with the stress that they have. That just is all scary to me. I don't want to do it. I want to carve out my own little space. So, you know, even for me, as I think about like this question coming up in this episode, and I looked at it, you know, three minutes before we started recording this and my brain started turning. It's like, well, I admire you, which is why we hang out in Slack and we've known each other and talked together for four years now on a consistent basis, pretty much every single day. And it's the thing because we're in such alignment of the things that we strive for, the things that we do. I think we also make a relative similar amount of money that we can basically like bond over certain things. So like, I think if you made 10x what you make revenue wise, I would always feel an imposter syndrome of sharing work with you. I just think that's a natural human thing. And it would be really hard to fight against that. And I see that sometimes there are entrepreneurs who like want to get in a mastermind with like really well-known people. And it's like, I think you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people at the wrong time. They're well-intentioned. They're great people. They have so much experience for you. But it's almost impossible for you to even just resonate with what they're doing and even feel like it's accomplishable for you. It's almost too big that I think it can really detract and it can cause a lot of self-worth issues and things. So I don't know. A lot of times when I, I think about people who email me, they're like, oh, who should I look up to? Who should stuff should I read? It's like, it's not just reading your peers, but I think you should read people that are on your level so you feel like you can achieve that and not always be striving for this like next Steve Jobs, next Mark Zuckerberg, like all of these things. Yeah. I would not want to be Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Zuck, especially not Zuck. I don't think anybody wants to be Zuck anymore. Yeah. And I tweeted that as just kind of a random thing. Like it was like, everybody wants to be Mark Zuckerberg when he's making Facebook and making billions. (laughs) No one wants to be Mark Zuckerberg when he's sitting down in front of Senate or UN, like any of these things. Yeah. And it's just like, that's not where I want my business to go. Yeah. It's just weird. Like I don't look up to those people. Like I think they're neat. I think Elon Musk is neat. Like if he wanted to go get a vegan pizza with me with cashew cheese, <laughs> I'd be like, sure, bro. But like, yeah, I don't actually care that much about them. I'm not going to read. I think I read Steve Jobs's biography, the, the main one. It was boring. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, but like reading Ray Dalio's book, Principles, was like ridiculously interesting for some of it. Some of it, like it drags on a long bucket. Like huh. that book is like this big. Yeah. But it's completely yeah. outside of anything I know or do. So I was definitely more interested in that. But yeah, like, as far as people I look up to, I can't think of anybody. And it's not like even ego, like, oh, I'm so much better than everybody. It's just that like, yeah, yeah, that's never been a priority to me. Maybe it's because I'm so anti-authority or anti-power struggle or like, if anybody's in a position of authority over me, I hate them. That's just like, yeah, the way it goes, armchair psychology the shit out of that (laughs) statement if you would like but like if you have power over me i hate you that's just the way my brain works and so when people ask me that i'm always like do you want some books that i like yeah i can suggest books from other people that i like and most of them are sci-fi and don't really (laughs) it's kind of whatever but it's hard for me but there's definitely some people like i think and it's funny too because i think there's like the internal and the external externally, it seems like Derek Sivers has like the coolest life. He's like a digital monk. Like, I think that's what his job title or Twitter bio is or should be. He just lives in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. And like, he disappears for months at a time. He writes a blog post that everybody reads and loves and shares. And is like the best thing ever. He makes a product or two. He writes a book. And it's awesome. And then like, you don't hear from him for ages and ages. And it's like, that's a cool life. But like, I don't know his right daily stuff. So it, like, it's hard. Even somebody like Seth Godin, like he puts out so much stuff. And like, I admire that about him because he has been releasing project after project for decades and decades, one after the other. And I mean, like, that's admirable. 
But like, I don't admire, like, I don't want the life that he has. I think he has always wearing really sharp glasses. Yeah. Like his glasses game has been <laughs> on point forever. But yeah, like, I don't think I admire people in business. I think that for a lot of us, this is this is the way that I just now I'm thinking about it that will make sense to uh, many more people than they probably think. That's a bold statement, but uh, stick with me here. Right. I think we admire the work that people create more than we admire the actual people who are behind it. Mm-hmm. Because I think that we see this happen all the time with, let's just say it's like professional athletes or whatever. For a moment, Paul, stick with me. There are so many professional athletes in which people have like, They've been their heroes. They wanted to be them. And then all of a sudden you find on the side, they had like 30 side chicks. They had a gambling problem. They were uh, alcoholics. They treated people terribly. And you go a good part of your life admiring this person only to find out they were a complete piece of garbage, you know? And that's not to generalize all of them, but we just don't know. And I think a lot of times what we actually admire is the work that they do or the output that they create. And in your Derek Sivers example is great. Like, I totally admire every single thing he writes. I admire his books. I admire the way that he talks on podcasts and things. But I don't know that I admire his life. You know, like I don't I don't think I would want to trade places with him. And I think a lot of times that's the way that people think about this when they think about like, who should I look up to? Like, who would I, you know, essentially trade places with? And instead of just thinking about whose work do I admire and how can I do similar work to that so that I can feel really good about what I do, but then also realize that the things that drive certain people to put out the work that they put out are not going to meet the same things that you have that give you value in your life and for your kind of definition of what your self-worth is. And I think there's a big disconnect there. Yeah, like Steve Jobs was an asshole. Right. To the people he worked with. Like 100%, like not even debatable, he was a dick. Right. But did he make the world a better place? Probably, to some degree. And so I think you need that. Yeah. There's a difference between... There's a difference between like creative genius in a Steve Jobs and a creative genius in Kanye West. Like you could argue that Kanye West is not making the world a better place. It doesn't take away from the fact that people admire him and he is a creative genius. But I think someone like Steve Jobs, it's like you kind of need that asshole to like push technology forward to a place it's never been before and to open us up to a new way to communicate and to interact. And arguably, we wouldn't be here today because we're both on Mac products. So it, it is kind of different. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just think you're you're definitely right there. Yeah. and. It's such a head trip to be asked that question. And it probably doesn't even have to be. Or like when people ask you, oh, I love your writing or what you do. Like, who are more people that I can like follow or get to know their work? Yeah. And I'm always like, I don't. It's a hard question, right? Because like, I spend so little time consuming information that like, I don't know who I don't like. I'm sure there's amazing people out there that I just don't know about because I subscribe to maybe six newsletters. I don't look at Twitter except to tweet and sometimes at my mentions, which pisses a lot of people off, but I just honestly don't give a shit. So it's hard. Like I don't have, it's just like when people are like, oh, I want to use a WordPress theme like yours. I've never bought a WordPress theme or looked at a WordPress theme that I didn't make in my entire life. Yeah. So I don't know what to suggest other than the shitty ones that I look at when I'm supporting a WP complete <laughs> client. <laughs> yeah, I know what one's not to use, but like, I find this a lot where people ask me things I don't know the answer to a lot. And for the longest time, I wanted to have an answer. Or I tried to have an answer because I thought that was like the right thing to do. Or my ego said that like, oh, you know the answer to this. You know the answer to everything. Yeah. Stupid ego. Yeah. But now I'm just like, I don't know. I tell people I don't know probably as often as I answer people's questions now. Because yeah. I'd just rather operate like that. It's easier. Yeah, I think there is something to be said for this almost like illusion that you put on that you do know everything, right? So if someone sends you a question in an email you have to give them an answer. Otherwise, you look like a fraud. You know, it's like that person came to you expecting you to be the person that they admire, they look up to. And if you don't give them an answer, guess what? They're not going to like you. Well, that person didn't exist in your life like five minutes ago. So really, it doesn't actually matter. But I fight the same thing. And, And I probably, for the first time in a long while, I haven't been super diligent on responding to all of my emails really quickly because I've been working on building Wandering Gameplay and it's taken up all of my time. And I've given myself permission not to kill myself and like go through and do this. But I found myself opening a bunch of emails, and I think you're better at this than I am, and just not responding. 
if someone will write like this huge long email, all these things. And I'm just like, you know what? This person's asking for a lot of my time to reply, but like they didn't exist on my radar literally a week ago and they're going to survive without me. I'm not their saving grace. I actually don't have the answers to all these questions. In fact, I'm going to have to sit down and really think about how to stay some stuff that hopefully doesn't cause a ripple effect in their life. Not that I have that much impact on people, but you know, like it can, it's happened for me. Like people have written me stuff and it's had a huge ripple effect on my life. And so I, I don't know, I've just been really cautious with that, just kind of like you have. And I think it comes from that place of just, we feel like we have to show up for people when they show up in our lives. But just because they do that doesn't necessarily mean that you owe it to them to do that. Yeah. Advice is tricky too. Like I've not written or not published a bunch of things because I've considered the consequences of following that information. Yeah. And people ask me all the time, like, why don't you write about this? Why don't you write about that? And it's like, I don't feel comfortable giving advice on the subject because I don't like just people are always asking for like, just tell me who you invest with or like yeah. what I should do with this much money. And like, I don't know, like I'll talk about investing. We're, we're both pretty, we had an episode on that. We talk openly about our investing, but like, I'm not going to share an affiliate link for my investment company. Cause I feel like that crosses a line for myself where it's like, I don't want to tell people to do something as big as that and have it not work out for them because then I'm going to feel responsible. Like I'm going to feel bad if they somehow lost all their money, yeah. which probably wouldn't happen unless it was like Bitcoin. <laughs> which is, it's funny you bring that up because I had a close friend of mine that we talked about Bitcoin. You know, he just heard me talk about it, saw me like, you know, tweeting about it or whatever. And was like, should I buy this? Should I get on? Like, it's growing like crazy. And I was like, I mean, I think you should. We're friends. Like, I know you have disposable income that you could spend on this. Like, I knew that information. So I was like, I think you should. And he's lost 50% of his money. And I feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where I, every single day that I see the price of Bitcoin, I think about that. And so I think this is a really smart move for you to have that, that line that you draw on the sand where you say like, you know what? If this has the chance to have a ripple effect that I can't control in a lot of ways, I just can't put that out into the world. You know, like I don't want to think about the weight of those consequences. I just looked up the price of Bitcoin for the first time since probably we recorded the last season. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a chart yeah. going from the top left to the bottom right. Well, what's hilarious about it is I went from 211,000 yeah, 211, return the beginning of this year on my investment in Bitcoin. And I'm down, so top left to bottom right, I'm down to 70%. So like I still made 70% on my investment. Yeah. You know, like you have to think about things that way. And I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. Now my friend, he sees that a little differently. <laughs> He's at like a different place in that. But I think that's all like investment stuff. So anywho, yeah, one of the things that that I think is interesting in in this conversation about like, who do you admire? What do you admire is, and going back to my point a little bit is like, I admire the books that people write. Yeah. But I've actually heard some stories. Again, it's kind of like the, the professional athlete thing of like some of these authors and like, they're not good people. And you look up to them because they're the people who created the thing, not realizing that like the nice shiny thing that's been polished and tweaked and touched by a bunch of people. That sounds weird, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Th that thing is actually a good thing and it has no harm or no unintentional bad things to it. But the person who created it is kind of a jerk. It's a weird thing. Like, do you not recommend a really great book by someone who has done less than reputable things? Now, I think there's a line there. Like, there's like clearly terrible things. You wouldn't recommend it. But like the Roseanne line where now all of the previous episodes are not just the show was canceled, but all the previous episodes don't exist anymore. I just think it's hilarious that people kept giving Roseanne a chance. If you've ever watched her stand up or her do like she is just she's she's a bigot and a racist. She's been that way forever. And she wasn't pretending that she wasn't. Exactly. And I just I don't know. It's so weird to me how these things start to come up where it's like, oh, look, she tweeted, you know, this this racial thing or whatever. It's like, hey, guys, you know, you've heard her say this stuff before. It's just now that it's out in the public where like thousands of people can now hear it. Now you have to make a move on it. But like you knew this beforehand. This is not a surprising thing. Yeah, she shouldn't have been back on the air in the first place. Did you see the shade from the drug company? Because she said like, yeah, so good. Ambien. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so good. I love that. Like if Ambien comes at you, like a pharma company <laughs> comes at you with shade. That's fantastic. OK, so back to my question about the uh, the book, because I'd be curious to know where you might draw a line in the sand on that. 
let's say if you read a book that you really loved, a science fiction book, and then you find out the author cheats on his wife or, you know, whatever, would you never recommend the book again? Would it kind of be blacklisted for you? Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't, I don't think I could feel good supporting that person's work and giving that person money. Although with like, let's be honest with the book, they're not really, they're getting pennies anyways. <laughs> yeah. But still like, yeah, I don't think I would feel, I don't think I would feel good doing that. But on the other hand, like, especially where celebrity is concerned, I don't care to learn about celebrities that I see on the screen or book. like, I don't know a single thing about 99% of the authors I read. I know absolutely yeah. nothing about them as people, and I just don't care. Yeah. Unless something comes up where they're like, oh, we got to blacklist this celebrity or this author or whatnot for this horrible thing that they've done, then I'm like, okay, I know this thing. I can't unknow this thing, so I'm going to change. Yeah. It's just like with the fish sauce on the sushi. Yeah. It's like you're eating this thinking you're vegan, and you're not doing anything wrong as a vegan just eating food. But like as soon as you learn, then you have yeah. to make a choice about it. Then it becomes more muddy and more difficult and yeah it it just becomes more complicated everything's complicated so you bring up the celebrity part of it and it made me think about someone like louis ck louis ck came out like all this stuff against him and if you don't know anything feel free to google but just just like gross terrible stuff right and here's my question to you whether you were a fan of louis ck or not before and i'm sure you know the stuff that went down with him I've never watched any of his comedy stuff, but like I know who he is vaguely. Yeah. Like I can picture his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I heard a lot about that scandal when it happened, like the the things that he did, which were horrible. Yeah. So my question to you is: Let's pretend you were a fan of his work. You think he's funny. You've watched a stand up of his. Do you ever forgive him? Like, do you ever let him come back into a place where you can admire his work again, or is he just like he's just done forever? No matter what he does, it would be hard. I think it would be very hard. Like I don't know what. Just thinking about that as like a thought exercise, I don't know what he could do. Yeah. Like what's the redeemable act that brings that back around? But that that is how justice is supposed to work, right? right. Like you do your time and you have paid your debt to society. Yep. That's not how the internet works. That's not how social media works. That's not how opinion on social media works. Yeah. I actually have this thought a lot about Mike Vick, who was the football player who had the dog fighting ring. And this was many years ago. He got caught and like, he was torturing dogs and doing just like just awful, terrible stuff. I was a huge Mike McFanny. He's an amazing athlete, amazing football player. And again, like I admired his work. I didn't admire the person that he was. And I found out all this stuff. And I was like, I hate this guy because I love pit bulls. I own a bully breed dog. And I was like, how could you do like this is atrocious. And then, you know, it's, it's probably, I think, 15 years later now. The dude was in jail. Yeah, it was a long time yeah, ago. The dude was in jail for a long time. So he did his time. Came out, he started working with um, the SPCA and other organizations and PETA and like talked about how, you know, he grew up in this kind of systemic system that he just didn't know any better or not. And, you know, hey, you can go one way or the other on that. Like, should you be smart enough to figure it out? You know, whatever. And I, I've thought about this constantly of like, he came back into the NFL and I refused to watch his games. Like, that's how I kind of drew my land. I was like, hey, you've done your time. You did, but like, I'm still not going to watch your games. Like that to me is my way of saying like, Nope, like you're not forgiven. Yeah. And I kept thinking to myself this exact question I asked you, like, what is the redeemable act that he could do where I'd be like, okay, I forgive you to some degree. And I feel like for me, if the atrocity is bad enough or if the, the, the thing is, yeah. there's just no forgiving. You're done. Like you had your chance and you made your mistake and you did it. And that's it. Like you're just out. Like there's just no way around it. Yeah. And I think that there's definitely like, I think that exists for everybody where there's just like, there are non-redeemable things that people can do. Yeah. Like hurting animals and hurting other human beings. I, I don't know how you come back from something like that. I don't think I'm a big enough person or, but that's not even the right word. Cause like, yeah, forgiving enough, I guess. Yeah. I don't think I'm a friend. I'm okay. Cause I'm not Christian. So I don't have to try to be forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> like that just like, rolls off my shoulder. Yeah, you don't lose any sleep there. But yeah, like I don't have to try to be that way. I don't feel like I'm morally or ethically obligated to forgive people that I don't want to forgive. I think. Where forgiveness makes sense is if you need to do it to move on with your own life. So I think forgiveness has to be self-serving for things like that, like dude running a dog ring or like dude raping somebody. I don't need to move on in my life from that. So I'm okay to hate this person forever and to to say that this bird, like I'm boycotting everything this person ever does. 
hoping they don't make any money ever again yeah kind of thing so yeah like i think because forgiveness feels like it's a it's a usefully self-serving process mm-hmm. i don't this took a weird yeah yeah, from, like, yeah who do you admire on the internet but whatever yeah so yeah there's definitely a lot of things where i don't think they could do so like it's cool i like the fact that this guy has learned and he's working with like the spca and PETA. good for good for change happening and like one less dog fighting ring existing in the world. Right. I'm still not going to support. Yeah. For me, it's always the line is drawn at animals and defenseless like kids. You know, it's like yeah. things and people that are defenseless. To me, there's just no coming back from. You don't get a pass. Like you knew you were taking advantage of something that could not stand up for itself. And now that's not to say that like a fully grown man or woman who's in a situation where there's some type of sexual act and they knew better, but they still did it like still really bad. But Yeah, this did take a weird turn. So I'm actually going to turn it around, not because I don't think it's interesting, but because I have some questions for you and I think they might spark us in a different direction. There's one person that comes to mind that runs a business that I think we all read about, that we all follow if you're in the entrepreneurial kind of online business space. And to me, that's Jason Fried. And I feel like if there's one person that I consistently read every single thing he publishes, I really never disagree with anything he has to say. Like, I think it's all really good stuff. It's kind of like Derek Sivers in a way. Although Derek to me is just like, he's a little too remote. I like being remote, but your level of remote, like you can still get to a downtown very easily. I I, I think I do admire Jason Fried. I think I do look at every aspect of what he does. Now, I don't know his life. I don't know anything about his actual personal life, but I feel like he's done a really good job of aligning business and life and decisions and things and learning from all that stuff. So, that to me stands out. I'm curious if there's anybody, what your thoughts are, if that one stands out to you, but if there are anybody that, that has come to mind now as we've been talking about this. Jason Free definitely stands out to me. And like, I've had the opportunity to actually talk to him one-on-one and like, I'm impressed. Like, I'm impressed by nobody. I'm a <laughs> jaded, critical person. But like, yeah, he's definitely impressive. But I think he shares zero about his personal life. And that's probably, I, like, I think that's intentional. I think that's actually smart. And I think that's an, it's an interesting conversation about transparency as well, because the things that he talks about, he's 100% transparent and open about. Yeah. The things that he doesn't talk about, he doesn't talk about. It feels like it's such a very straight line where it's like, if you want to talk business, venture capital, startup growth, any of that, they actually host workshops in Chicago at their location, teaching you everything there is to know about Basecamp. But like, I don't know, even like DHH is his co-founder. Like he shares a lot more personally. Like I know he's a race car driver. I know how many Porsches he has. When I was on Instagram, I I could see his Instagram. But Jason was like, I don't know. He's an enigma. But still, I kind of like that. Because like the only thing I hear from him is this thing that I'm interested in about him. I don't care what he does in his free time. I don't care. He looks like he's an outdoors guy. <laughs> yeah. He's just got rugged good looks, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I don't care to know anything about him because I like the way that he approaches business and it aligns a lot with the, the way that we approach business. Yeah. Someone that comes to mind for me, you know who Casey Neistat is, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to come back to Casey Neistat, but I want to talk about Marquez Brownlee. So, do you know who Marquez is? I'm guessing you don't. So his his YouTube handle is MKBHD. Those are his initials. And he has pretty much the most popular tech review technology channel on YouTube. He's been doing it for 10 years now, just came about. I've been watching his videos consistently probably for maybe two years, not as long as a lot of OG people. But to me, I look at someone like Marquez and I'm like, man, he really has it figured out. He is a super down-to-earth guy. He never tries to do anything above and beyond. He's not striving for any crazy metrics. He has just stayed true to his love of technology and gear. And he's not over the top. He's not in your face. He's not doing all the crazy jump cuts. It's just high quality, very straightforward, a little bit of humor here and there. I really admire that. So I'm thinking about this and I'm like, he's way younger than me. I don't want the YouTube channel that he has mostly for the pressure. I just feel like every time he uploads a video, it's so much pressure. He has so many subscribers and things. But I think about him and then I compare him to a guy like Casey Neistat where I'm like, that dude churns out so many videos that take so long to edit. And I just feel like it is such an unsustainable pace, but yet so many people aspire to be like him and they don't understand what it takes to do that. 
I can talk about this because I did film a daily YouTube video for 889 days straight without a break. And I know what it takes to do a shitty version of what Casey's doing, like a really bad version. Yeah. And to see the quality of content that he creates on the consistency that he does, like there is no time for a life. And I think that so many people admire him and they don't even understand because truthfully, I don't think he comes out on every video enough and says, hey guys, I got three hours of sleep last night because I was editing for six hours after filming for six hours. I saw my wife and kid for 30 minutes. And oh, by the way, I forgot to eat lunch again. Those things don't happen enough. So people, all they see is this like shiny version that they want to become. And it's not realistic for 99.9% of people. So those two were kind of an interesting juxtaposition for me. And I don't know if you have any context with Casey Neistat or that stuff. I got to admit something though. Ooh, what do you got? (laughs) I can't stand videos. If I click a link on Twitter and it's a video, I feel disappointed. Do you not watch anything on YouTube? I used to watch Motor Try. I used to watch Head to Head. But now that's moved in uh, somewhere else. Interesting. So I don't even watch that. So I would rather sit and read for an hour than watch a three-minute video. Interesting. I won't even watch TED Talk. Like, I just can't. (laughs) I hate video as a medium so much. That I just can't like it. And that's so not the way that the world works right now. But I know who Casey is. Right. I kind of know what he looks like if he's wearing sunglasses, because I think I've only ever I think that's all he does. Yeah. But I don't know who the other guy is. Yeah. And I just like I I can't stand video. And like I do make some video, but not like YouTube video. I make like course videos. But I would rather read. I would rather sit and read for an hour than watch a five minute video on YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) It's really interesting how my consumption habits have changed because I feel like YouTube has ratcheted up to such a level of quality in the past two years that that for me is what changed from like never watching YouTube videos at all. Because it was just like, it was a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. You know, like even if it was really well edited, it was in 720p and it was just like not great quality to watch and it just affected me. So I'd rather watch something on like a big screen TV that's in HD that was better content. And now I do feel myself like, I actually have channels I subscribe to for the first time in like a long time. And I consistently look forward to their videos because I admire the work that they're putting out. You know, like I get value from watching their work. It it creatively inspires me, probably like what you get from reading the things that you read, consuming the content that you consume. And you know, I think that's kind of an interesting route that we've taken on this episode as we always tangentially move down these paths. Yeah. Do you feel like any of the stuff you consistently read in the form of, let's say, science fiction, or maybe it's articles from someone like Jason Fried or that type of stuff, is like your go-to for needing some inspiration or needing some motivation or anything like that? No, because that's not how I get inspired. I get inspired by doing the work, which sounds so yeah. tripe, but it's true. Like I wouldn't want to be inspired by other people. And again, that's not ego. That's just, I want to be inspired by the work or the work isn't enough. The work has to be enough yeah. by itself and like in and of itself. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of people who probably send those questions through to us about who do you admire? Who do you look up to? They're looking for a thing that's going to trigger something in them to get into the like, do the work phase. Yeah. And I feel like if you don't have that built in, that's one of the things that I had the hardest time replying to people who are like, help me get started, do all this stuff. I'm like, well, the first question is not any of those things you asked. It's, are you willing to do the work? And are you willing to stick with it long enough to see if it's actually going to pay off? It's hard as well because I'm the opposite. I have to work hard to stop like doing the work and being inspired and making things. I don't understand the opposite end because that's never been me. It's hard for me to answer a question like that, that I have no, like I have zero frame of reference for that. Yeah. I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to do my work and I get to it. And then I have to tear myself away from the work to like, not sit at my fucking computer all day. <laughs> so like, I don't know. It's hard to answer the opposite of something because like, I don't have any frame of reference for that. Yeah. I don't know how that works. I don't have the empathy to answer that question in that specific context. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting question in general of like, do you think the people who are asking that question can find something that then motivates them to get into the place where you are? Or do you think if you don't start with where you are, and, and that's where I am too, like I'm a natural yeah doer and worker and I, I crave creating things. If you don't have that in you from the beginning, do you feel like you can create that? Or do you feel like it's just going to be a never ending cycle? Hopeful me would be like, yeah, you can. But also I think I think it becomes habitual. Like I think the way that I am now is because that's been a habit for 20 years. Right. 
I think if I had stopped doing it and then tried to get back into it, I would probably be in the place where it's like, I don't know how to get inspired. Tell me who can inspire me. I think it's harder if you're in the other place. I think it's easier if you're in the place that we're at, but I don't think it's impossible to get to that place by building it. It's just like the, when people ask me, how do I stay motivated? It's like, I don't stay motivated. I do the work. I'm only motivated by actually doing the work. I'm not motivated by thinking about being inspired to do the work. Yeah. And the motivation comes through fighting through the time of not being motivated. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, like when you can finally break through the moments of like, I don't want to work on this. I don't want And you start working on it and you're like, oh crap, two hours just went by and I've worked on this. Yeah. I found the motivation in working through that. 99% of the issues of making anything is thinking about the work, not doing the work, but thinking about the work. And I say that from like personal experience, fears and unknowns and insecurities and that it all comes from thinking about it, not doing it. Once you start doing it, it's not as scary. Yeah. Something I have no experience in, but like public speaking, it's more scary. Probably you tell me because you have done this. Like, the 10 minutes before stepping on stage is probably a lot more scary than like 10 minutes into being on stage giving a talk. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's a horrible example because I don't have that experience. But I think that applies to pretty much everything where it's like the getting started or the thinking about doing it is just harder. Yeah. I don't like to exist in that place because it's hard. Like, I don't want to exist. Like, life is challenging enough. Yeah. I would rather exist in doing than existing than exist in thinking about doing. Yeah, I feel like so many people count themselves out before they give themselves a chance to do whatever they want. Yeah. It's like you just you work yourself up so much before you actually just like do the thing and then see what happens. And I don't think there's any way to like point someone in the right direction of someone to watch or read or listen to or whatever other than like you just have to tell yourself I'm going to do this and it's going to be hard, but I I want I want the outcome more than I fear what it takes to get it. So I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes the asking that that question, the original question, like, who do you admire, is procrastination. Like, I think it's fine to, like, read other people or watch other people's video if that's your thing, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Watching the YouTube. Nice ass, nice ass. But I think it's procrastination, right? Like, sometimes procrastination can be helpful and it could give you ideas or it could show you something that you wouldn't necessarily consider. But anytime you're watching somebody else talk about the work, you're not doing the work. So yeah, I think you have to take that with a with a grain of salt. We both have content focused businesses, and like obviously, I like the people read my content, but I wouldn't want them to read my content all the time. Like, there's a reason my newsletter is once a week. Yeah, because read it, consume it, think about it, go fucking do something else. Yeah, right. Like, that's the, your the whole point of Action Army. Yeah, is the same thing. It's like do, you you got to do it at some point. Yeah, I had an initial goal with the Action Army is that I wanted someone to unsubscribe within three months, <laughs> and then when I thought more about that, I was like, this is terrible for business. <laughs> I'll never sell anything ever. But it was true. Like that was what I wanted. I wanted people to get what they needed and get out so that they could go do what they wanted to do. Like I wanted you to yeah. build up that action muscle and then you could move on and. I don't know, maybe it would take something drastic like that for people to actually get motivated to move on. I don't know, maybe they would never do it. And I think that that's that's an interesting kind of part of this. So my last question for you here on this topic is, how do you feel? I mean, if we're just being completely honest, anyone who's listening to this podcast, we would assume admires us in some way. Like if we're just being totally transparently honest. Or at least the way we run our businesses or something. Right. And when I think about that, it's a little bit like, huh, have I really earned that? Do I deserve that attention? And then part of me is like, yeah, you know what? I've been in the trenches of entrepreneurship for half the time that you have, but it's a long time. It's over a decade of doing this. And I have done a lot of stuff and I have accomplished a lot of things. And I have been through a lot of the things that I think people are really, when it boils down to it, they're trying to avoid some of the mistakes and the the pain, the other things that we've gone through already, which is why you did it. Or you just want a little bit of entertainment. I mean, let's be honest, that's part of it as well. But do you ever have those thoughts where you you take a moment and you realize like, hmm, there's 30,000 people who subscribe to my email list and they're really here because of this reason that they do look up to me and that stirs up some stuff in me. Yeah, it stirs up being scared shitless <laughs> for me. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. This is scary because when I think about it, like, I don't want people, <laughs> it sounds so bad, but we're being honest here. I'd rather people be more like me and not look up to anybody, pretty much. I would rather people not look up to me and be free thinkers and make decisions on their own. 
if they get something out of my writing, that's awesome. They get something out of anything I do, that's awesome. But I would rather them take what I have to say, consider it internally, and then make decisions about it than just like read it and be like, oh, I, I love this article, Paul. I love this article, Paul. And like that strokes my ego, sure. But that's not the outcome that I hope for because like, I don't know. I don't want to be admired by people. Yeah. I just want to like do my thing and share my stuff and stir some shit. Kind of go with that. It's kind of interesting because that immediately makes me think like, how could you build that into Pico? And so for those of you who may not have listened to our business update episode, Paul is building a essentially a medium competitor. Let's just call it what it is. It's a writing platform yep. and a reading platform. It's medium, but better. Yeah. <laughs> but how could you how could you do that? Does anything come to mind where you could actually say like, yes, someone is supporting with their dollars. So I think voting with their dollars for the person who's writing, which is one of the ways that people will be supporting on Pico. But I wonder if there's a way that you could create some sort of like outcome-based result when someone reads something that shows the author, the writer, the creator of that thing that like, hey, someone didn't just give you money and basically say thanks, but they actually went and like, did you inspire them to do something? Yeah. And that's how I don't know how you build it in a tech. But one thing that I think is slightly related that's been a pet peeve of mine about social media is that I don't really look at people who follow me. So if I haven't followed you and you followed me, it's because I didn't look because I don't care. I would rather follow people like if I'm talking to somebody or I see somebody interesting, I'm going to follow them. I'm not going to follow somebody just because they followed me. That seems seems really weird, even though that's like the way society kind of works. Sometimes I look at somebody, they'll be following like 80,000 people or like 300,000 people. So you're following nobody yeah, because you're following that many people. It's just noise. Yeah. So with Pico, I don't want it to be a social network. Yeah. Like I hate social networks so much. But we want people to be able to hear from their favorite writers. Yep. The point of it is so you hear from the people you, you're interested in. So you can follow 10 people. That's it. Hmm. And so if you get a weekly digest, it's only 10 people. If And obviously, we're going to try to surface other content sometimes. But the point of the platform is to read and to write. So. It's hard to do that if you're following, like even 100 people. Like, how do you have time to read like 100 articles a day or a week? Yeah, you don't. Yeah. 10's even to be 10. 10's tough, but 10 is, it seems manageable. Yeah. I subscribe to probably about maybe a bit less than 10 writers. Yep. And that's it. And by doing that, I can say like, if I'm following this person, I'm no doubt going to read this person. Otherwise, I'm going to unfold them and follow somebody I want to read. Yeah. We're trying to make it so that it makes sense to to do things. It's not just like the vanity. Man. We talk about vanity metrics so many times, but yep. like vanity metrics are just dumb. But like, that's how the world kind of works. So that's kind of what we're saying. I know it doesn't really answer your question, but we have been thinking about related questions. I think the fact that you're building a writing platform and you have been a writer for so long and that you don't want people just to reply and say thanks, as great as that feels. There's no comments either. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope that it's something you find a solution for just through having people on the platform trying new things. Like, I, I'm excited to be on the platform for a couple of reasons. One, I want to think about writing for Pico something that, like, I don't write anywhere else. Yeah. I want it to be something so unique. Maybe it's only Tesla review stuff. Like, that's all it is. I, I don't know why, but, like, maybe that's the thing I want to do. So I think that could be really fun to create a niche of something I would normally not write about in this other platform where I never would have spent my time or energy before because it didn't exist. So I think that's kind of fun. But I do think that it'll be really cool if you see a certain pattern of type of content being shared on Pico, like if it's all business stuff or for some reason it attracts the real like honest, transparent, life related things, the emotional side of of all of this stuff. I don't know. Maybe there's a way that something organic will come of that. So I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. There's no real question there. It's more just a thought of like could be some really cool organic stuff that comes out of just seeing what type of content kind of takes Pico over. So one, I don't want to control that by any means other than like the the bad content. Like I don't want bad content yeah. on there and bad, not like bad writing, like bad grammar. I don't care about that. But like you write <laughs> hateful stuff. I wish you would do like, nope, three grammar <laughs> mistakes. Can't publish. Sorry. Booted. <laughs> but like Medium is now a running joke because all of the articles on Medium are articles about how to write good articles on Medium. Yeah. Yeah. And like, stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. My question to you, because I know this has happened. If somebody's like, hey, can you be my mentor? I admire you. What do you do? Yeah, I've taken this a couple different directions over the years. 
It used to be I would get on a call with anybody about any idea they had. That's a terrible way to handle this. Because you start to find that a lot of people are just, I mean, they're just looking for the silver bullet. They're not looking to do the work. So then I figured out like, okay, well, I'll charge people because then people who are only serious are going to want my time. That's not true. There are lots of people who aren't serious who just have some money and they'll do the exact same thing. And so kind of where I transitioned, it was I just didn't take any calls for a couple of years. And then I got to this place with Buy Our Future where I was helping members behind the scenes and I was answering questions for them. And it was real applicable, practical advice for their businesses that made change. And a lot of it was actually just life-based, but it affected their business. And so we did this one-on-one thing with Buy Our Future. And so we had five one-on-one spots and we worked with five people. And we didn't do this in the beginning, but now I know. If I can qualify that a person is at a certain level with a certain amount of products, a certain amount of audience, and an overwhelming amount of ability to do the work, like they're not afraid of the work, I will 100% take money from them to help them because my time is worth money. And I know I can make a positive impact. And so there's one person specifically who like, we just re-upped for another year. And I helped her take her business from $3,000 a month to $8,000 a month. And she paid me $1,500 to make that happen. It's a good return on investment. Fantastic, right? And she's so happy. And I, I was nervous even sending her an email to ask her if she wanted to re-up because I was like, well, you don't need me anymore. You know, like I got you through this thing. I think for her, it was actually more like, this is kind of the first time where I realized like, I see the value of coaching now. Like I never really understood the value of it. But like, if I'm keeping it at such a sustainable level where it's just one, it's one person right now, it's no more than that. But I can really make an impact for her because it's the exact metrics I can hit and that I can work with her on. So for me, I am, I am happy to be a mentor to people if I can hit very specific variables on a baseline with them and they are willing to do the work that I know it will take for them to get where they want to go. And that is also, caveat, not $100,000 a month in revenue. Like, I just, I'm not going to work with you. Like, I don't want that for my life. I don't have that for my life. It's not what I, you know, aspire to. So I'm not going to do it. So that's kind of how I think about it. How do you handle this? Or how have you gone about this over the years? Because I'm sure you've had a shitload of people ask you about yes. design coaching or, you know, that type of stuff, which is, that's a whole tricky area. Yeah. So what I've found is that it's really good to have a rule instead of making case by case decisions. And it's also less personal to the other person. So my rule is I don't mentor people officially for money, for anything like that. Because then it's not if somebody asks me like, hey, can you be my mentor? It's not like, yeah, I I can't do that for you. It's just that I don't do that. So it's easier for the other person to, to be okay with. But the caveat there is always, if you have a specific question that I know the answer to, yeah. Ask me. Like you have my email address because you're emailing me. Yeah. 30,000 people have my email address every single Sunday. It's not like I'm a difficult person to get a hold of. People ask me questions all the time. They don't ask if I can be their right. mentor first before asking a question. So just like just ask a question. Yeah. Let's make this simple. You have a question, you think I can answer. Yeah. Send it to me. If I can answer it, I will. If I can't, I won't. It's interesting. Most of the time nobody takes me up on that too. Any time anybody asks if they can have me as their mentor and I'm like, "No." But ask me a question. It's the same fucking thing. Never hear from them again. Is there a reason why you, let's just for a moment, not feel icky about the word coaching if we can? Because I feel icky asking, but it's the easiest way to. <laughs> is there any reason why you don't take on, even if it's just one or two people? Let's call it consulting. One-on-one <laughs> consulting people? Um, yeah, I don't want to. I wish I had a better answer, but I don't want to. Is it anything fear-based? Like you afraid you're not going to deliver on what they need? Or is it just like, I just don't want to be beholden to a person and owe them time, even if they're paying me. Yeah, I like the way my schedule works where I don't have to answer to any one specific person. Like I have to obviously I beholden to all of my customers, like 13,000 people that are part of my courses. Like I definitely have responsibilities that that exist. But the reason why I don't like I don't want to be beholden to individuals. I'd rather be beholden to like customer bases because the way that my life and my, the structure of my routine is set up is like, like I don't need to be immediately responsible for anything. Yeah. I pay a shit ton of money to Flywheel so they manage my servers for me. Yeah. And like I could pay 80% less and just do it myself. Like I have the skill set to do it myself on another server, but like I don't want to be available to people. I want to be available to people when I can be. 
And like on Sundays after I send my newsletter out, then I da- like I carve out hours a day on Sunday and Monday to answer as many emails as humanly possible. But like I don't want to do that. I enjoy what I do more than I would enjoy coaching or consulting people. Yeah, it's funny to me because I, I felt the exact same way you did until literally this one woman, and she may be a huge yeah. outlier. Like she just may be, there may not be other people like her. I would love to find out if this is different, but we had one call every quarter. It was an hour, hour and a half long. And it was only that long because we literally worked through exact practical steps that she would take. Maybe one email in between each call. And she did the work in between, asked questions for things that I would normally get questions about from anybody in a course or whatever. And she did it. And for me, that was like, I think about how much time I'll spend with like a teachery customer, for example, who pays me $49 a month. Yeah. And they will email me four times a week And I split that money three ways. So I'm literally making from that person in a year. I don't know. Let's let's just be wildly assumptive. $100 from that person. And I've given them 10x the time that now saying this out loud, I'm like, why am I doing that? You know what I'm saying? But it's the same way with you. Like I like servicing those customers because, you know, I can do it on my own time. I control it. But that changed the thinking for me when I was like, I'm already doing this in a lot of capacities with customers. If I can make a bigger impact for somebody, then for me, I'm willing to say, okay, it's a larger price tag, but I can almost guarantee a return if you just do the things because you're trying to do what I've already done. So all I have to tell you is, you know, is doing that. So I don't know. That was an interesting shift for me. And, you know, not trying to say that you should start doing that. But yeah, I, I just do don't feel, want to. <laughs> I feel like people should email you and say, I will pay you $10,000 for one call every quarter. Will you take my money? And I will be, I would just be funny to find out if anybody would do that. And you'd be like, nah, still won't do it. Still won't do it. Yeah. Still hard pass. Hard pass. So, all right. Well, I thought this was an interesting uh, way that this one went, as they usually yeah, do. Exactly. Thanks to uh, uh, Paul from. I believe he's from Australia, sent this question in. <laughs> from Chickenhead, Alaska. Chickenhead, Alaska. I don't remember what the actual town was. Shout called. out to last season. Shout out to last season. Yeah, good one here. I hope people found it interesting. As always, we appreciate your attention and the fact that you do listen, especially if you listen this far, then you really deserve our appreciation. But we hope you're doing stuff. We hope these episodes get you inspired to do something. And I will say that, don't send us an email and be like, oh, I really like that episode. You can do that if you want, but... I would love for you to like listen to an episode like this and go, you know what? I have been putting off launching my ex. I have been, and not like your ex, like, you know, spouse or whatever, but like your, your product is what I was saying. <laughs> I launched him into space. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if, if that actually, if this actually motivated you to do something and you actually did it, I would think we would love to hear from you on that. Yeah. And we won't even, we won't even ask you specifically, the people who are doing things to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Yeah, don't, don't do, do that. If you're doing stuff, don't do that. Yeah, that's But if you're not doing stuff, then definitely leave us a favorable (laughs) review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be in your earballs on the next episode. Yeah. Bye.